All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckeristas? All right. How are you? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you. Today is an exciting show for me because I'm talking to a chef, and I like chefs, and I like cooking, and I like this chef. I really like her. Because as you know, I watch Chopped a lot. I enjoy the show. It, it moves me emotionally. It makes me excited uh, about the process of cooking. And I learn things, I think. But uh, Alex Guarnicelli, she's the Iron Chef. And uh, she's the new American Iron Chef. And she's a regular on Chopped. And I got to be honest with you. Initially, I didn't like her so much because I thought she was snotty and a little difficult. But then I got to watch her cook. And there's a vulnerability to that that just made me love her. And I've grown to love her. I love Alex. And she's going to talk to me today. And she came over to my house. And because I watched so much Chopped, she walked in and it was uh, like an old friend. It was uh, it was bizarre. I, and I never really felt that with a uh, guest before. I, I was just like, oh, there's Alex. How are you? Uh, sure, we know each other. I, it must feel it must have felt the way people feel about me sometimes after listening to my show so much. But she is so sharp and she grew up in New York City. She's got that edge to her. She's funny. I, I dug it. Can, what how much uh, how much smoke do I got to blow here I had a great time at this interview and you're gonna listen to it in a minute what, what I, I want to tell you some stuff some big things happened last week a big thing happened last week and I'm gonna talk about it but I do want to give you a heads up to something else here I kind of want to make this a regular thing here's the deal I don't know if you have the WTF app but I want to tell you this it's the fastest easiest way to get every episode of WTF the WTF app is free. For all your mobile devices, it's free, and it's a good app, and you'll get the newest episode as soon as it's ready to download, and the most recent 50 episodes are always on there. But here's the deal. If you upgrade to the premium app, you can access every single episode of WTF. That's all 400-plus episodes. You can get the app at WTFpod.com and click on the WTF app link and go to your preferred app store and get the WTF app. I just want to give people a heads up to this because it's really the most efficient way to get the show. And it's also the easiest way to get all the shows if you want to listen to every one of them with the upgrade. And also occasionally I put some uh, premium member only content on there and we might be doing more of that in the future. So that's a perk. I just want to get people used to maybe doing the app as the primary source of getting the show. Okay, enough said. Now what else? Pow! Look out. I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop. Haven't done that in a while. Don't have to do it. Do it because I want to. Okay? Uh, what have I got coming up? I'll tell you what I've got coming up. I am going to be at Wise Guys in Salt Lake City, West Valley City, actually, Utah, Saturday, August 17th for one night. Okay? And I'm going to be in Denver at the Comedy Works, Friday, August 23rd, and Saturday, August 24th for four shows. I'm going to be up at Bumper Shoot. Sorry, Cleveland. Had to cancel hilarities because I need the weekdays to work on my new show. I will reschedule. I can only do two days away right now. September 21st, I'm going to be at the Rochester Fringe Festival with the hilarious Nate Bargatze. All right? Okay. That's it. Onward into other things. Here's the deal, people. And I love you all. I had 14 years sober on Friday, August 9th. Last Friday, 14 years sober. And clean. 14 years of not wondering, hey, where the fuck am I? Who's that? What happened in here? What is who? What the hell? Why is there stuff all over the floor? Uh, none of that. 
No uh, waking up and piecing together events of the evening. Maybe some of them. No sort of flashing back to uh, uh, that. Uh, the making people upset. No uh, hangovers. No uh, hating myself more than I hate myself. Uh, usually, no more staying up for three days on end. No more talking to people for fifteen hours that I wouldn't talk to for five minutes because I had blow. No more uh, hurting people uh, and not knowing that I hurt people. Uh, no more driving under the influence. I mean, there's a big list of shit. I don't want to preach. I got no, I'm not proselytizing. I don't, uh, you know, I don't recommend sobriety for everyone. Those of you who know you need to get sober, know who you are. You can fight it all you want. I can only say my experience. The first few years were fucking horrendous. I was out of my mind. People ask me how I did it. And I will say openly even though i may not be i may not i'm not supposed to say it necessarily but i went to aa i went to meetings and i listened and i got the shit beaten out of my brain with that stuff and i made it my own and integrated the thoughts of that program into my own brain i don't speak for the program at all but at the beginning i went to two or three meetings every fucking day for a year until uh because it was all i had to do as all i wanted to do is i had to get sober and i got sober and I stayed sober somehow. Look, I know that this podcast helps people with this stuff. And I can say that my life is better because of sobriety. Only you can decide whether you're fucked up. And here's how you know if you're fucked up. Is if you wake up every day and you go, God damn it, I'm fucked up again. Today I'm going to not get fucked up. And then you end up getting fucked up. Then you're, you're fucked up. Unmanageability. That's the, uh, the core of the issue. There's a lot of people that are functional alcoholics out there. God bless you. A lot of people who love the booze, love the drugs. Good for you. Have a great time. Got no judgment. I miss them myself. But if you want to stop and you can't stop, then you're fucked up. That's it. That's the whole, that is the crux of it. If you wonder whether or not you have a drug or alcohol problem is if you're fucked up and you want to not be fucked up and you can't stop getting fucked up. That's it. Do whatever you got to do. There's other ways to get sober. You can white knuckle it. There's some other uh, sober programs out there. Whatever you got to do. All I'm telling you is it's fucking hard for about a year to five years. And then you finally get your shit together enough to you get the hang of being sober. And then you just sort of live with the aggravation of it. And I know some of you are out there thinking like, but dude, you drink a lot of coffee. You do not a lot of nicotine lozenges. Well, here's my answer to that. I am a compulsive, addictive person. I also have a fucking tremendous eating disorder and complete body dysmorphia, and I eat compulsively. What else do I do? I probably masturbate more than I need to. Yeah, I got a lot of compulsive problems, but I'll tell you what. I'm not going to masturbate myself into a brick wall or into a tree or uh, into a gunfight. I'm not going to like do nicotine lozenges and black out for six hours. I'm not going to do nicotine lozenges and get into a fight with somebody. It's relative. Yeah. I have an addictive personality, no doubt. Do I self-medicate? Fuck yes, I do. Am I fucked up on booze and drugs? No. Are the things that I'm doing relatively safer than booze and drugs and not that mind-altering? Yes. You draw your own lines, people. You know who you are. If you're fucked up and you want to stop being fucked up and you can't stop being fucked up, you got a problem. All I can say is what worked for me. I know a lot of people, they go to the things and they're like, yeah, I don't know, there's a lot of God. All right, well, then scratch God. Lose God. Take what you need. Figure it out. It's possible. 
Am I happier? Yes. Am I more productive? Yes. Uh, am I more happy? Yes. Did it take a long fucking time? Here's the deal. When you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, obviously you have a tremendous amount of discomfort with you. Yes, that's you. Sitting with you, very difficult, frightening stuff. Accepting you, horrendous. Who would want to accept this guy? Who would want to accept me? I certainly don't. Fuck me. Fuck that. I'm going to fucking drink onto that. Yeah, hell yeah. Now I can accept me because now I'm cool. I'm loose. I'm good. Look at me making people cry and hurting myself. It's no minor feat, 14 years sober or one day sober. And if you got a problem, there's help out there for you. That's what I'm going to tell you. I've kind of given you a hint at what it is. Do what you got to do. But I got 14 fucking years sober last week. Hallelujah. Not going to say it's a miracle, but it kind of is. Not a real miracle guy. There's a lot of hard work and uh, a lot of self-acceptance. And I'll be honest with you, after a few years, the obsession goes away. You don't get that hunger, but you never know when it can come back. Do I miss the drugs? Yeah. Do I miss smoking weed every day? Sometimes. Do I miss the cocaine? Not so much. Do I miss a cold beer? Yes, sometimes. Do I crave it with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul to where I know in my heart and mind and soul it is the only thing that is going to make me feel whole and feel better and feel connected to the world and to others? No, I do not feel that. Am I grateful that I do not feel that anymore? Oh, fuck yes. It got ugly at the end. It got ugly. Doesn't need to. It's all I'm telling you. There's help out there. I will tell you this. I was supposed to do Celebrity Chop, but because the production of my second season of Marin got underway, I had to cancel it. I was going to do it. I was mentally preparing for it. I was mentally preparing to lose in the first round. I was going to do it. I was excited about it, nervous about it, and then I had to cancel it. So I was close. It might happen in the future. All right, enough. Let's talk food. Let's talk cooking. Let's talk about being a chef and other things with uh, Alex uh, Guarnicelli now. Someone painted that, and then there's wood burnings, and then there's... um. It seems like people have, a, there's a ritual designed around the, the gifts, you know, as if they have to give a little DNA or a chunk of flesh or a toenail in you order think? to say how devoted they are to you. I, I, it's, I don't know, I'm very flattered by it and it's pretty amazing to me. To, like I drew a picture of John Lennon once when I was in high school and it, it took a lot of time, but I was into it. For them to do that with me, it's, it's, over, it's overwhelmingly, uh, I don't, it's humbling somehow. I made a wreath of herbs. Um, I spent three days when I w- lived in Burgundy. Yeah. Uh, I made a wreath of herbs from the garden we weren't allowed to pick in. I scaled the wall yeah. in the middle of the night, and yeah. I made this wreath of bay leaves and rosemary and thyme and mint and all this stuff, and I wove it for three days, you know, having never done anything of, yeah. of this of uh anything like this in my life and then took the train to Paris with it and walked up to Joël Robuchon's restaurant Chaman on the Rue de Longchamp and knocked on the door before dinner service and the maitre d' answered the door and just said hello <laughs> and I said this is for Monsieur Robuchon because I think he's amazing and the guy said I hope this isn't a bomb <laughs> and I said no made of bay leaves Harley <laughs> but I think there was something really like to make a wreath and get on the train I mean that was 
Yeah. This feels like that. It has that same devoted energy to it. It's a ritual and a a respectful thing. I like it. Something comes from your heart. I mean, I'm going to be mailing you, I don't know, a leg hair or, well, you like, know, like you, a like, bang, maybe a piece a of my bangs. Can you do, how about a cake? A, a chunk <laughs> of cake, okay. Something that'll travel, that. like some one of those weird uh, Italian uh, holiday cakes. Okay. What is that? What's that called? The fruit there's cakes so many. A, the, there's a torta di ricotta, which we often have at uh, That at won't Christmas. travel, though, right? Not even remotely. No. It barely so, travels from your fork, from the plate people, to the mouth. People bring me food all the time. Like what? No, let me make sure I say your last name right. Alex Guarnicelli? Perfect. See, I feel like I know you. You walk into my house, and we literally, uh, Jessica and I watched Chopped constantly. We were with you through the whole Iron Chef uh, ordeal. Oh, my. That was really something. But I'll tell you something weird is that the familiarity, Not and I know TV people, and I, I know... Um, you know, people who act in comedian and stuff, they spend a lot of time in here. But there's something about, and I, I talked to Scott Conan, too, about this. So with Scott, I never seen that guy cook. Mm. And, and like, you know, I'd see him on the show and I'd be like, all right, this guy's got a lot of attitude, but where's, the, uh, where's his vulnerability? Where's his heart? Because you don't see that. And, like, when I saw you cook, I was like, oh, my God, Alex is upset. I'm bleeding. <laughs> Yeah, I really know. I knew how to drag it out. I mean, some people said, did you lose Next Iron Chef the first yeah. time so that you could do it again and put us through that? People, yeah. Many people have said that. I mean, I definitely, I made all the classic mistakes that you tell yourself when you're a professional you're not going to make. I dropped my food in water. You know, I, Oh, that I, was horrible, yeah. Yeah, that was all really just kind of, I, I just thought, you know, I couldn't have made better TV if I actually tried. But that didn't happen on purpose. No, not even remotely. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I think I don't, you know, you know those moments where you feel so panicked that you you have to say to your brain, I'm going to actually have to think about breathing in and out now because if I don't, I'm going to stop and right. fall over. I, right. I think that was up there. But also, mm-hmm. you're just, your uh, people's interaction when they're cooking, when they're handling food, and when they're in it, it's very vulnerable. You know, Alton Brown, this past season of Next yeah. Iron Chef, had one of those little cameras. And so while they were filming us cooking, he came around with this little camera and, you know, would poke it at you yeah. and you'd be prepping. And it made me realize that I was panting like a dog and that I couldn't peel a clove of garlic because right. I was trembling. And I thought, you know, that made me realize just what a visceral experience I had. I mean, those 45 minute, half an hour, one hour cooking interludes on those shows, particularly Next Iron Chef, are they take years off your life, and, and you can feel the life dripping off you, into, right. hopefully into the food, right? but often onto the beach or the parking lot or wherever it is that the sun is beating down on you, you're wearing the wrong sunglasses, right. the, the sunblock is burning your eyes and melting into some vague <laughs> semblance of eyeliner, yeah. you know, the whole nine, it's just all there. How, but how important, like, Iron Chef now, I mean, is this the same as winning like a like a, a James Beard, you know, award? Is it, I mean, like, is it, a, is it an event that people engage with on TV? I know that the Food Network has made a big difference. Oh, yeah. But I mean, in the world of chefs, is Iron Chef... (laughs) Not even remotely. I don't... Well, in some ways, I think it's so important. And I think for people, you know, my age, my generation of chefs, we've watched Iron Chef for years. Iron Chef Before anyone else did. Yeah, I mean, it's been on for a long time. I've always watched it. I sort of liken it to, you know, in Bull Durham. Right. When um, Kevin Costner says, you know, you're going to, I was in the show. Right. I just think I want to be in the show. So, in all honesty, uh, I just did it for myself. I I don't, 
I didn't do it to you know you know get money to get anything. I thought I just really want to be an Iron Chef. This is just something like on my epitaph, you know, um, daughter, mother, Iron Chef. That just has the right music to it. But it also gets you it garners a, a lot of respect. I mean, you're being judged by peers. I mean, Jeffrey's oh, yeah. no slouch. I mean, to oh. have him sitting there and and that must have been nerve wracking because he's sort of anal and <laughs> he's really you know he's very buttoned up, but. Yeah. The thing that was hard is, I mean, I went through the competition with him the first time. Yeah. Um, I did his battles with him when he won Iron Chef. I did his first six with him as his one of his sous chefs. Right, I remember that. Yeah, with, yeah. And that was really funny. I mean, did he pick bigger. you? How does that work? Yeah, you're... he did. He picked me in the finale to cook for a few minutes, and then he said, you know, you want to do this, and... I said, you know, sure. I think that's real. I mean, I just love Kitchen Stadium. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, some things you just, some things you say, check. I'm yeah. putting this sucker on my resume. Right. Or some things you say, check. Bucket list, and I didn't even know it. Right. And then there's this other list, which is that I'm a deranged human being, and that my internal value system says that this is actually what matters. It does and matter. And to me, to me, I don't care what anybody else thinks about whether you know the world changed. Right. Uh, because I'm an Iron Chef. It, uh, you know, I went into Bobby Flay's office after the first time and I said I'm not going to do this again I don't have to do this again right away you know if you turn yourself into yeah. the Food Network police yeah. you know yeah. what kind of response you're going to get and he just said you should do it for you to for validation for yourself he said you should you should really go at this and try to win it and I thought well there is just no other there's no need for any other reason other than that you said that to him after the first one mm -hmm. and he I, I went in his office like you know as what, if, why does he why does he produce it I mean is, no. why, we just went over there no I you were hanging out and, he's the guru on the hill for me really yeah he's really turned out to be sort of a surprising out of left field mentor in terms of um you know particularly television and and stuff like that um because i've i've been cooking for years um you know for uh, i'm really very french trained yeah um and I, I'm still ready for more cooking mentors, but he just sort of turned out to be a, a horse of a different color. And what what really was the surprise about him? He gave me a real kick in the ass. Yeah? You know, he just said, Tough yeah, love. okay, I, I don't, I'm not really drinking your Kool-Aid. I don't really, I'm not impressed. Cry all you want on my rug. Just don't stay in the couch on your way out, you know, with yeah. your tears and your frozen yogurt and right. beat it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's kind of cool sometimes when someone says, I'm not impressed your whole act and just go in there and do this well it's very funny too to me about the the the, the machismo of some of these cooks or oh, yeah. some of these chefs like mm -hmm. they're you know because flay seems like a real bro but you know in order to be a chef there has to be some sensitivity there i i think that true do you i think uh we have compassion in spite of how we're supposed to be uh -huh. theoretically right i think maybe compassion doesn't fit into the fantasy iconography of a chef you have a couple of different scenarios you have that that image of sort of a Kris Kringle type in the back, you know, who's ladling yeah, beautiful yeah. sauce onto braised right, lamb right. shanks. Doesn't even talk, really. Yeah, he's just yeah, smiling yeah. and twinkly-eyed and mustache. excited. Yeah. A mustache is yeah. key. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, you have another one which is sort of like Swiss and grumpy and, yeah. you know, yeah. um, military, and then, militant, uh -huh. or both. And then I think you have um, just sort of maybe your more modern version of a the chef. The explosive coked up nut bag in the back throwing sure, things around. Sure, if that works for you, fine. Um, and I would say um, the ones that, you know, Bobby Flay's one of the ones for me that really keeps it real. You know, he's still well, he's cooks. He's good, right? Oh, he's such a good cook. The first time I really met him, um, I randomly wound up judging some episodes of Iron Chef America a uh -huh. long time ago. And the first one I judged was Battle Elk. 
and and it was Bobby and yeah. and I didn't really know him and I I thought oh no you know I don't I'm not gonna like this yeah and um, he made and I told him this he made an anchovy vinaigrette for one of his courses with pomegranate and you know sliced elk like a carpaccio yeah and. Uh, I ate the anchovy vinaigrette, and it reminded me that in 1992, I went to his restaurant, Bolo, when yeah. it opened, and I ate that very thing, yeah. and I thought, this is incredible, and I just, the food he made that day was so delicious, and uh, from then on, I just, you know, I have a tumbler of Kool-Aid, my, of his Kool-Aid on my desk since then. Yeah, he's but he's always, like, on point, the guy, like, even if you don't like him, I find that with the, with like, even with Conan, like, he, like, to me, you're sitting there with him, you guys are doing your thing, and I'm like, God, that guy's a dick. Yeah. You know, and he knows it. He does yeah. it on purpose. Oh, yeah. And then you talk to him for an hour. He's just this big, inflated marshmallow, that guy. You know, totally. He's, <laughs> he's like I a, call him a Teflon donut with a cream center. There you go. That's, yeah. And he knows it. He knows he's kind of. He kinda, is the first to laugh at himself, yeah. which makes, you know, I don't think you get to see that yeah. on, when we film Chop, that he yeah. will, he'll be unabashedly himself. And then he'll, you know, the, they'll say cut and he'll start laughing like, right. what a douche I am, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it ma- to me, it makes him utterly lovable. All right. So I, I ate at your restaurant. I went to Butter. Mm-hmm. It was very good. I oh, think, thank you. I think I had a pork chop. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. It was really good. And, but I, I, I'm fascinated with, with with the work of a chef because I, I would I, I I saw myself as doing that but I never did it hmm. I think I could have done it I think I have a knack for it but I didn't pursue it so when do you know that when do you know that you're going to be a chef you personally I think um, I just want to make a comment first about temperament and wiring you know yeah. if everybody's a car yeah. so to speak and I think you know whether your engine is going to go that way. You know whether you should be gunning it down the freeway or, you know, in a in a supermarket parking lot. Yeah. You kind of know. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I think I I would love to tell you. So many people say to me, "Oh, since I was three and I woke yeah. up and I made an egg and yeah, okay, I didn't have any of those yeah. moments. I moved through my childhood with a lot of cooking and a lot of eating. Um, in your family, because your mom was involved. What, yeah. what did she do? What were her many roles in but the she's cooking? A, yeah, she's a cookbook editor. Well, she's an editor of books, but she's really primarily focused on cookbooks. And when I was a kid, I mean, she would test the manuscripts herself in addition to having cooking. a recipe tester. So right. She, and she was a good cook. Um, she was a good cook, but it doesn't mean everything she made was good. What were, did, she, uh, did she edit any big cookbooks that we oh, know yeah. like who well she did the re- the 1997 revision of the joy of cooking that took almost three or four is years is that the of, last one no there there's been another since but my mother's edition as i like to put it is yeah. still in print uh-huh. um which to me says a lot she's done a number of iconic cookbooks classic indian cooking by julie sani the splendid table by lynn rosetto casper yeah. she did all the frugal gourmets books uh-huh. um she did a Barbara Tropp's classic, um, The Modern Art of Chinese Cooking. Did she have a passion for it? I mean, it, oh, yeah. And what do you know? Did you ever talk to her about what, what, is, what does it mean to edit a cookbook other than you can't, if you're not going to trust your testers and she's going to make the recipes, was she making sure that whatever she was part of was. was I think from- it's fascinating that you immediately think she was paranoid enough not to trust anybody, which is brilliant. Go with that. <laughs> Run with it. Take the ball and just go way out, will you? Little control thing going on. <laughs> just go to make sure that uh, yeah, everything test, uh, tested in her kitchen as well. I think she needed to live through it or something. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, if, if, if she were a filmmaker, it wouldn't have been enough to just direct. Right. It was, she would have had to try on all the costumes and eat the crafty food and walk around in the rain and, you know, well, ask after, herself. And walk around the rain asking herself what? 
you know, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> well, Are we asking ourselves that every day? Anyway? Right. But like that Kubrick exhibit, I mean, you know, he may not have been eating the, you know, testing everything, but he certainly had an amazing amount of control and a very specific idea of things you would never even think were there, you know, like colors, like working with thematic colors that had certain implications to him or, or were supposedly meant something and these themes. So, I mean, I think control freak is necessary when you're doing that kind of stuff. But I mean, she didn't write the books. No, but I think uh, I think Stanley Kubrick, having begun as a photographer, yeah. which I think is important, and then moving into some experiences and abandoning projects too. I think that that's you know things like that Napoleon movie um, and that um, the Aryans about all that research that he yeah. did that it depressed him so that he couldn't make the movie. So I think um, I, I would say I would liken his need for a visceral living through the movie right. experience to the way my mother would edit a book and she would bring it home and she just did that because that was her process. It wasn't, yeah, sure, we can mix paranoia and mistrust and all that in there. I think we can do that with Stanley Kubrick too. Yeah. But I would say it's also based on, you know, when a control freak has a bad experience in deferring to others, uh-huh. he, she then says, oh my God, yeah. I knew it all along. That on top of the original experience that made them a control freak. Exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a game over. So it's pretty much a game over for my mother around 1978. But it was also very interesting how my mother procured authors and cookbooks, how she would come about them. She would scour newspapers and magazines. Just oh, she actually was the one who reached out to the, that signed them? Sure, she found them. She found Julie Sonny was cooking and there was a, a, a two, a three line thing in the back of, you know, an, a, a page of the New York Times. Yeah. She cut it out and she said, there's this woman yeah. cooking in Brooklyn Heights. She's making Indian food. She's cooking with spices. We're going. And I yeah. said, what do you mean? I mean, what are we going to someone's house? Hi, yeah. how are you? Yeah. Um, but it was like that. You went to her house? Yeah, I went to her house. How uh, old were you? Oh, I was like maybe 10. So your mom's like, Let's, we're taking Let's the train. This. Yeah, yeah. To we Brooklyn. Train. <laughs> and you went Hung to out her. with her son, Vishal, who was a few years old. And, uh-huh. you know, my mom said, get lost, kids. Yeah. You know, and we just went out on the terrace, I remember. I remember my mom marveling at the fact that Julie Sani took flash pictures of fireworks. She thought that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's a weird memory. Yeah, but um, so Julie Sani, you know, she was very interesting. Yeah. I, I, she was very vivid to me because she cooked with ingredients that my mom didn't cook with, things like a lot of chilies and spices that, you know, just weren't. She came over and she cooked dinner uh, one night when I was maybe 11 or 12. At and your she, house. Yeah, and she dropped poblano peppers yeah. straight into a hot wok. Uh-huh. with oil right. and they you know ex- sort of exploded this the air became so spicy that we had to run out and open the windows and like we were choking and beyond feet. yeah 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 um so a lot of interesting experiences for me you know you don't forget something like that and you grew up right in manhattan i did i grew up across the street from the carnegie deli my whole life those guys yeah, yeah, really. I mean, we'd go in there. My dad and I would go in there and have flunkin. Yeah. And Back Woody Allen. Back when they Allen. had flunkin. Exactly. They don't have that stuff anymore, I don't think. Like, a lot of stuff is gone. Kishka's, I think, are gone. Flunkin's probably gone. The Carnegie does a pretty good job of staying true to itself. I'm kind of surprised. Oh, I love it. It's and they a- went through a number of years where the food was not good anymore. It was very upsetting. And remember that the, you know, that huge waiter that was like six feet tall and he was heavy? He had like a mole on his face. Oh, yeah. And he was there for 100 years. They still make good brisket. You couldn't look at anything but the mole. Yeah, yeah. You, that, know? you know that guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll have a mole on rye. I mean, you just couldn't <laughs> yeah. even. It was beyond. And maybe there was a hair going to grow out of mm-hmm. it. And you just, it was very hard to focus. He was always there, that guy. Yeah, he So was. you lived across the street from that. Mm. And that was part of your life. 
Now, what did you like? Were you a, like a club kid? Were you running around? Were you dressing up in like you know Fiorucci outfits and running oh, around? Oh no. no, strict Italian father. Really? Oh yeah. What did he do? My father is a therapist. Dissect that. Discuss. I'll just say it. my dad's a therapist. Period. Discuss. A strict period. Italian therapist. Yeah, but he started out as a history professor. Specializing in Napoleonic warfare, of course. So it all makes sense. It's yeah, like I mean, I've learned enough. It's all come full now circle. Let's go into the head with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and he's a, a he's still a practicing therapist. Mm-hmm. So he sits there and he listens in his wise uh, chair. Yes, I, I think it's you know. So that, you're the kid of a psychi- psychotherapist. I guess. I guess we're going to put it that way. And you're, and at two intellectuals, two academics, okay. two real diehard academics, right? Who love books and reading. And, and it's New York, so that's like the home of it. That that's like uh, that's where intellectuals come from at that time too. When they were like when you were a kid, I mean, the seventies in New York. I mean, that's when culture was driven by intellectuals. I agree. And, it's gone and my now. father, he took me to the museum. You know, we would oh, just yeah. go to the Mo- walk over to the MoMA, and he'd say, "What do you think?" You know, we'd look at some a Matisse. Yeah. And I would just say, I- "I'm okay." You know, yeah. I-, I oh, all right, Dad. But uh, the one thing is, I've been I have a five year old now, and I've been thinking a lot about learning and the fact that my father always talked to me as if I were an adult, right. as if I understood what he was saying, when in fact I often didn't. Yeah. But. I do it with my daughter now, too. I find, you know, we, we have experiences and things are said to us, and they're filed in our yeah, brain, and right. then later on something clicks. You know, yeah. why did I get up today and go to the museum and walk around mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's learned behavior, I think, and uh-huh. I, it was taught to me, and um, I'm, I have gratitude for that, whereas as a kid, I thought, oh... You know, we went to we we went to Paris, and I mean, all my mother and father and I did. My dad said, "Get up." He would set the alarm. Yeah. And you know, we had five minutes to eat breakfast, and we just went from one museum to the next. It was just we never saw the light of day. It's important, and it's a and a lot of times, like people don't have access to it, or they don't think it's important anymore. It almost seems like a type of, a lifestyle that's fading away mm-hmm. in some strange way. That there's some. Whatever culture is becoming, it is not that intellectual culture that it once was, where that was important. My mother used to fly us from New Mexico to see, like, the Cezanne retrospective, the Picasso retrospective, all these things when we were kids. We would go to see them. She would go. She was a painter, kind of, and make us look at it. And it's it's in my mind forever, and it's important to me. Like, there's a familiarity to it if I go to a museum. I can't believe you just said that. I On my way out of the LACMA this morning... I strolled through the permanent exhibit. I just sort of meandered, and I yeah. thought, "Oh, look at this beautiful Modigliani, yeah. and look at this Brancusi, and right look there. at this Rauschenberg, and look at this Picasso." And I just thought, oh, "I'm so privileged to have learned that." And and I, you know, I majored in art history in college, but in all honesty, the the education about art and what what I'm looking at came right. from those moments at the MoMA that. And where I was thinking more about the gift shop and the and the, you know, what we were right. going to eat. But you also always felt that it was a special space. That the way things hang on a wall and the whole feeling of a, of a museum. Not so much that it's because you know the art is is fragile or that you can't touch it, but just the way the stuff sits mm-hmm. on a wall and in certain rooms. It it it's it's almost like a ritual space. That there's an, a significance to it. It's 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 put up there for you to have that relationship with. Did you ever go to the Tate? 
in London, the new Tate. Mm-hmm. That oh, that, no. Oh, my God. No. you got to go see that thing. It's done. It's, that thing. I it's love in it. a, like a turbine building. It's a gutted industrial building that housed turbines. So the space is huge. And there are certain rooms that are just monumental in, in, in the, the, the main area is almost empty. And it's bigger than, it's like an airline hangar. So you, all, you walk in and you just, you're introduced to this huge empty space and it kind of clears your mental palate hmm. to go get it beat up by a bunch of art. Beat up. Yeah. It's got to punch you in the head. It's got to sit there, right? I think so. I so, think so. No, so okay. So you grew up with this uh, amazing, like highbrow upbringing. Which did you go to the symphony and stuff too, or was that not their bag? See, I, I'll I, tell you the truth. It's interesting you say that. My parents didn't have any money. Yeah. So the symphony would have been expensive, but the museum wasn't. Right. Um, so things were dictated by that, really. And I mean, where did he teach at the time? When Queensboro before? Community College. My father taught there for I think thirty years. Wow. Yeah. So that, that's it's almost social work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Well, I mean, it makes sense when you think about you yeah. know, what my father does now and how much he enjoys it. Because that's not, you know, there's something protected about, you know, the lofty schools, you know, if you tease, you know, but when you're out there down in the trenches with kids who might not make it, you know, have a shot, it's a different thing. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, I think that that's true. I never thought about it that way, honestly, but I think that, you know. I would say nothing was an accident in that way. The thing I really admire about my father is he went to work. He always yeah. went to work. He just yeah. went to work. Yeah. And I think he really loved it. And yeah. I know he was really good at it. Uh huh. And this was a time where people could afford to live in Manhattan who had jobs like that. Totally. That, I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. No, my parents have lived in the same apartment for 30, I don't know, almost 40 years. That's a beautiful story. Tell me. It's so, and it's rent controlled, right? Completely or what? Yes. That's yeah, a great story. Yeah. They deserve it, Dan. Yeah, it. that's right. They've they're, earned it. There's so few of them left, I don't think. Yeah, like, what yeah. are their neighbors like? Is it a big building? Are there people, do you go into that building and there are people that you've known your entire lifetime yes. still? That's like, that doesn't happen anywhere else. That's the one beautiful thing about New York is that people, when they don't leave, they don't leave. Oh, it's not a joke. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. But this was a building. Um, and it it still is, but I think to a much lesser extent, where there were a lot of voice teachers, theater coaches, mm-hmm. um, photographers, artists, um, and so I would sit on my um, on the steps. My parents were late sleepers. Yeah. So I, one of my closest friends growing up was my doorman. Yeah, they're the best. Doorman are, are the me? best. I don't know what they I would have done without him for your whole life, right? Tell me the same guy. Oh, same guy. That's same the guy. best. And like, you know, you could, like a confessor, you could tell them shit that you, you wouldn't tell your parents. Totally. Or, yeah. Totally. Dormant. And I learned the seven wonders of the world and all the capitals of the United States with him. And we threw snowballs at buses. And, you know, we did all those, you know, sort of like eked out some kind of um, maybe some semblance of childhood normalcy in a very odd way. But I would sit there on sun- Saturday and Sunday mornings. I'd sit down there with him and we'd talk and hang out. And. You know, Tony Randall, Lauren Bacall, Yul Brenner, Gig Young. Yeah. These were the people walking in and out of the building. They lived voice. in your building? Oh, no, for, they for were coming in for voice lessons to see their agents, to see their theater coach, to see... Wow. See, it's weird about Dorman. It's like some people listen to that and go, well, that must have been an upscale building. But it's, it wasn't necessarily no. because Dorman was just a job. It was a unionized job. Totally. And I don't know how it, it was decided which buildings would have them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of... Uh, I lived in a... Like a pre-war, you know, high rise that, you know, just always had a doorman and they were not, it was not a fancy building. No, I didn't. This is not a fancy building. Right. 
it's a it's a whole t- it's a whole kind of culture of New York that 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 I mean, I guess it's still there, but not as many as there used to be. I would imagine. You know, I worked as a private chef for a family on Park Avenue a number of years ago, yeah. and there were there were four or five doormen. Yeah. Um. In um, you know, sort of that that wintergreen outfit uh-huh. with the gold epaulettes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. but a real epaulette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they'd get the door. And they knew what was going on in everybody's, they knew everybody's business. Yeah. So yeah. I think that there's a real culture of that still in New York. You'd be surprised in certain neighborhoods and areas in particular. Yeah. But this was, um, you know, this is Midtown. And, yeah. and geography really makes a difference. It was even odd that there would be any intimacy or any sense of community, I think, in, in a place where you'd step out and look down 7th Avenue and watch the ball drop. Right. I mean, that's right. kind of yeah. what I looked out on. Yeah. Um, but there is. Within each building, the building is almost like its own sort of, it's like coral, you know? <laughs> It's like a, right. like there's this giant community of people, and there's a uh, there's a brain center. The doorman knows everything, and the, because what what funnels through the doorman is one neighbor come down. I heard so and so screaming, and then oh really? And then they come down. Is everything all right? And it's like well we had a little, and then like the stories just build out, and they're the ears of the whole thing. Oh, it's exactly like that. It really is. It was exactly like that. It really was. It's to some extent it still is. I mean, and sometimes I come in and there's a doorman I don't know, and he says, "May I help you?" And uh, I have two answers. You know, yeah. one is, "Are you are you kidding me?" <laughs> and then the other answer is, "Yes, I'd like to go to you know." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, two answers. So all right, so you grow up in this. So food is constantly going in and out of your face. Yes. Different kinds of food. Yes. But there must have been some moment where some food was presented to you, and you realize that there was a whole world of possibilities. No. <laughs> Never. I'm just going to project Isn't that on you. That... No, Alex, there must have been. No, there should be a critical moment. There were a few critical moments. Um, but I, I, when I graduated from college, I thought I really want to go to culinary school. So I called my parents and told them that, and they weren't very impressed. And um, and so I, my mom said, go and work in a kitchen for a while and see if you actually like it. Where'd you it. go to college? I went to Barnard College. I got a BA in art history from Barnard. So you're a smarty pants. I'm smart ass. I don't know about a smarty pants. People, you know, teachers would say, you know, you're a very bright girl. Yeah. You know, sort of like when you say bless your heart in the yeah, South, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 right, there right. was something, uh, there was an appreciation for some raw intelligence that some teachers perceived existed in me that I appreciated. But uh, I, I think, you know, did I have that moment? I, I did, I ate a souffle my mom made once when I was a kid. It had marsala in it and yeah, cheese. And yeah. I just thought, well, this doesn't taste like anything I've ever had before. I think food can represent culture and be really, makes make an incredible impact because we taste it, we smell it, we see it, we hear it, we look at it. I mean, it's just all encompassing. It's all the senses engaged. Um, but texture. there's an intelligence behind it too. I mean, you know, things yeah. have to go together and there's a way to put them together and you can get by uh, just cooking garbage. But if you want to elevate the thing, you've got to know the tricks. Totally. I think texture is huge. Yeah, I mean, when you know, like, you know, I never thought until I watched, you know, Chopped or other, you know, shows that I'd be sitting with my girlfriend and she would say, you know, I think it's missing a crunch element, and I would say, yeah, I think you're right that that was even part of the conversation. That's so funny. Acid crunch, (laughs) you know, like these are words that I would never use. Acid, very important. I would put a squeeze of lemon on just about anything. Sure. <clears throat> and I think you can't beat it. I really don't think you can beat it. I think when in doubt, just just put lemon on it and just say shut up and eat it. Right. And, and you're going to get away with it. Unchopped a lot. That's that's the big issue for me is acidity. Yeah. I try, you know, 
you can burn something, and I'm cool with that, but don't leave out the vinegar. Right. And also, there's um, uh, depth of flavor and layers of flavor, or, or the the sort of building. You know, I, you know, I don't, when you guys eat things. Don't, don't, don't play dumb with me. I know you get it. You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't really know. Look at you laughing. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, mm-hmm. when you have this language around it, when you or Jeffrey, <laughs> or, you know, and you're, you say you're able to get a lot of uh, a flavor profile or, or that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's something like I talked to, to Scott about it too. That that I don't know is that is that a technique to, to where you can get a depth of flavor do, when you pull flavor out of things? Like that's it, a great you, question. How do you even know to ask a question like that? I, I learned from you. No, no, don't say I learned it from watching you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely. I think that's one of the big things technique does. I think knowing to roast something when when it's right or knowing when to just drop something on the grill for a minute to create a different flavor. Every choice we make should theoretically lead towards heightened flavor. I think that's really, if I had to pick one goal, it would be that in cooking. I never thought about it, but that's really the goal. But that that also, that can be very simple. I mean, it doesn't... Uh. Can it ever? It doesn't have to be complex. It's not about like a number of spices or anything else. It's just about seizing a moment. That's right. Luck. <laughs> Luck. You better believe it. Luck is huge. How, Luck how, is huge in cooking. But for the initial thing, but in order for it to, to That's right. You know, you have to maintain a consistency. I think you have to kind of you have to develop a sense of how to cook first. I think you have to via only one way in my book, which is repetition. Okay. I mean, you got to cook seventy thousand chicken breasts, and then you know if you then you you add that with luck, and you win chopped. But that's sort of the the outlier premise that you, you that it's really just you know miles spent flying or you know hours spent doing whatever. You got to log those hours. That's totally it. Pay your dues. Yeah, I think so. I think I, th- I don't think there's any way around that. I feel like people say to me all the time, "So how do you you know peel a clove of garlic without you know peeling a clove of garlic?" I mean, I feel like that's the American way. Is how can I get there smartly, cleverly, and twice as fast? And I think cooking just says, "Yeah, you can go ahead and try." Yeah, but the, go right ahead. But why not take the process as part of the experience? And my, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think that's like going to the museum. I don't. I don't know. Well, I know, but it's also a time crunch too. It's like some people they work and they want to get it totally. done. Yeah. You know, so it's like uh, very few people that can be like, "What are you doing today? I'm going to spend the day cooking dinner for my family." I mean, it might have happened at another time. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I think people need things to happen quickly. And my my problem is I eat very quickly. So if I spend two hours cooking, I can literally eat that in ten minutes. And ten. Yeah, quick. That's that's that's. I'm, I was thinking more like four. Yeah, you, I'd say no one eats faster than chefs. Is that true? Yeah, I think you're really making the cut for the chefs. Hearing about, you know, I'm sort of checking off qualities, and I'm thinking maybe, you know. Oh, I'd love it. I would. Yeah, I, if you, I mean, if you decide to give this up, I think you I, know. I would love it. I just, I do. I think that now, though, like if it's not just for my own personal joy. That'd be crazy. I don't want to compete in the world that you guys live in because I'm, you know, I'm old and it's uh it's not, it's not an old man. I, I see some of the dudes at a shop that come in I, and I've worked with them. I've worked in restaurants when I was a kid where you just know these, these guys have been doing what they're doing forever and totally. they, and they're confident and they got that. Like, I like the bravado of the recovered alcoholics on shop where mm-hmm. it's like, I finally turned, turned everything around and now I'm going to kick ass, mm-hmm. but their techniques are just what they are. There's a difference between a cook and a chef. I think so. Um, I think a lot of people on that show are scrappy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I like about it. Yep. And sometimes they can real. nail it. 
I've eaten some stuff in there, and I just wanted to get up and say, how the hell did you do this? How did you take this basket and even make this? You don't do that after? You don't say, like, come here? Yeah, uh, I, I do sometimes. I try to. I try to say things to a lot of people that compete. I want. I, I. I. It's important to me that it's a show about showcasing chefs. It's not a show about the judges or anything else. To me, yeah, it's really a show about showcasing chefs. Yeah. and so to that end, I really like it when I walk away from a day on the set and I feel like all four people. Um, are walking away with a heightened sense of self or heightened understanding yeah. or something happened for them today. Yeah. And people really, they treat it almost like a spa for the senses or yeah. it's a, you know, some sort of workshop, you know, like hot yoga or something. Yeah. And they come out and I just think, you know, really of all the things, you know, I'm going to get up today and cook a lamb's head. Yeah. Okay. Right yeah. Ahead. Here it is. You, you know, I'm <laughs> right with you. But the only thing that gets me when I watch it is like, when people are like, where is something or how did this happen? It's like, don't you watch the show? How can you get on and not? It's over there. You know what? I can't believe you're saying that because I say to people all the time, yeah, sure. With your bowl of cheese balls and yeah. your beer yeah. watching the show, it yeah. just looks like, come on, dummy. It's yeah. just like on a game show when you're screaming the answer at the right, TV right, set. Right, right, But when you get in there and you're cooking, it this is, is so, frenzy. yeah, you don't, you can't even see. Yeah. All right, so let's go back. So you you're you're Barnard. You're studying art history. What what are you focusing on? What, what, what's your uh, what's your specialty as an undergrad? What what are your who are your guys art wise? God, no one ever asks me these questions. This is great. Really? No. Um, I wrote my thesis on Vincent Van Gogh. Really? Yeah, I really liked him. I thought he was pretty cool. I think I like him because he really just learned all the rules, and then he was like, yeah, that's great. Now I'm going to take the rule page and crumple it up and yeah. throw it in the garbage yeah. and burn it in front of everybody and that's laugh right. about it and stamp on it. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to really paint like a painting that. that's not going to be dry in the year 2000. That's oh, <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, so I really was into Van Gogh. I was really into... I like 19th century European the best. I was a sucker for the classics. Um, I really like I liked French painting a lot uh, in a Which, lot of cases. Impressionist or before? Yeah, I like Cezanne a lot. I, yeah. I kind of thought he was the OG. I thought you know everybody sure. took a page out of his playbook. So yeah. originally, I thought really another bowl of fruit, buddy. What yeah. happened? You yeah. got another mountain for me too? Yeah. Got some yeah. boxes. Let me yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. But then I sort of because I was hostile towards Cezanne in some way. I would find his aspects of him, or maybe those are projections, yeah. in a lot of other artists whose work I really maybe found much more recreational and more pleasurable mm-hmm. to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, all right, respect. You know, you might be like, you know, it's like Dr. Dre might be one of those OGs that you just sure. got a, well, a Quincy it, Jones type. Well, it's a tone, man. It's a, like, you know, you, you can't mistake a Cezanne, whether it's fruit or, you know, a, a little village or a mountain. But I mean, there's something about the tone of it. All those guys were... Oh um, yeah, they like out of all of them. Like you can see the continuity in in older art where people are just sort of riffing on a continuum. But those guys are like, "This is me, this is me, and that's it." I, I, and and when you walk through a permanent collection and you go from yeah, you know yeah. movement to movement and artist to artist, I mean, it's like wow. Yeah, you are really a pimp. I know this is you from yeah. across right. the room. Right. Okay. So you do the art thing and you tell your dad, the academic, mm-hmm. the, the therapist, and your mom, the editor. That you're going to be a chef. Yeah. And they were like, ugh, what? My mom just said, really? You know, we're not paying for that. Oh, that was it? Yeah, A. That was the first thing. My mom was like, your father and I are through. Um, We've had it, you know. Uh, you have brothers and sisters? I don't. I'm I'm the favorite. I'm the only child. that's nice. It's a lot of pressure, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, 
my dad got my report card. He always said the same thing. What? Onward and upward. Right, yeah. right. You're the only one. Yeah. Let's, let's make this happen. And then my father said, okay, you know, do whatever you want to do. He said, just remember, do you want to cook Thanksgiving for total strangers or eat it with your family? Hmm. He said that to me. Yeah. And I said, and I'm going to have to get back to you on that. <laughs> so 20 years later, I came home and said, dad, you were right. Yeah. You never only had a couple Thanksgivings with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Is that bad? Mixed bag, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, it is. I like my parents. But then don't you end up cooking for them if you're going to have the Thanksgiving? They don't like me to cook. They like, when I come home, they say, we'll cook. You relax. You you work hard enough. And you can let that happen? Uh, Totally. I don't need to control the situation. Yeah, I'm really, no. I'm okay with that. It's not a Kubrick moment for me. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, but are you that way though? I mean, I don't, you don't strike me. To be that, like, much of a control freak, you seem a little uh, ragged I, around I, the edges. I think I, um, that's funny. I think I, I have the things that I absolutely must control, so I, 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 I pretend to be super relaxed about everything else so uh-huh. that I can secretly protect my agenda. If that makes any sense well, to you. Do you have a, a, what's the list of those things? Like, what, I mean, like, if you're cooking and you have sous chef and you got people around, what are the things where it's like, no, you can't. Yeah, that's wait. right. You can come in in sweatpants. You can be late to work. Right. You can, you can BS on the phone. Yeah. Um, you can go downstairs and do whatever the hell you want. But when it comes time for dinner service. Yeah. You better have everything together yeah. or it's over. Yeah. And then it's really, so how'd that go for you? The phone call, the chats, the Diet Coke on the patio. We good? Can I get you anything? Two cappuccino? You good? Yeah. And so I, I really go around and I, I do it that way. And I think I, I disarm people. I like to disarm people with humor. Yeah. You know, if portions are too big, I say, is your mother coming in? Is yeah. this for your family? Yeah. Uh, is your grandmother on table 22? Because, <laughs> you know, or someone will say to me, oh, yeah. I say, why is this vinaigrette broken and tastes disgusting? And they'll say, oh, I didn't have time to fix it. And I say, I'll let table 22 know that you're they're eating something gross because you didn't feel like fixing it. I'm sure they'll care. I'm sure they'll be really, you know what? We're going to pay our bill. In fact, we're going to pay double. Yeah. You feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. I this crappy vinaigrette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that kid need us to take him home? We're yeah, gonna... <laughs> right. Yeah, do you, yeah. So because anyway, we can help him. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know, I let go of the things that I, I don't know. Yeah. To keep the core intact. All right. So all right. So you go. What 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 is the journey of the chef then now? So you graduate college and you apply to what? Well, what are the choices? Well, I thought, oh, I go to CIA and you know I'll do that in, in Hyde York? Park right. in New York. Um. And my mom said, go work in a kitchen and make sure you like it first before we make this, you know, you, you embark upon this investment in yourself. Yeah. Um, so I went and I worked at uh, Larry Ford Jones at American Place. And that's a big place. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. The, no, no, that's okay. The rock He's stars. really a pioneer, pioneering American chef. He's sort of one of the first to get up and say, blueberries come from Maine. Lobster comes from Maine. Porcini mushrooms come from Oregon. Yeah. And he assigned the geography of ingredients in the way that they do in Europe to America. Yeah. And that was very compelling to me. What years? Is this early, what, early 70s? Ni- no, no. This 70s? is like, mm, oh, Forgione? Yeah, I would say 80s. And then when I was working for him, how old? It was like 92, 91. Okay. So that's the beginning of like we're we're Americans and we can own that. Yeah, I mean Wolfgang Puck was making um, the Chinese chicken salad. Oh yeah, yeah. With the cabbage, and I was just mesmerized. So I worked in that kitchen um, for a while, about a year, a year and a half. Doing what? Oh, I was so terrible. I was so bad at everything. I mean, everything I touched, it was like. Why'd they let you do it? Because your mom. My mother was editing his book. Okay. And I... Hey, will you, will you make my kid miserable so she doesn't pursue what you did for your, a life? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll talk her out of it. Give me half an hour. 
It's like, you know in Men in Black when he says, look into the thing and you'll forget everything? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. We're going to have a talk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I just stayed out of the way because I really just, I very humbly and somewhat desperately and strangely was hooked immediately uh -huh. by the sound and the energy and the dynamics of the kitchen. And I just really wanted to learn. So I just took it slow and, you know, I don't know, I took it slow. But I came home every night, you know, with a new cut, a new burn, and I just thought, well, this, you know, sucks. I remember actually crying about ruining my hands. Yeah. You know, actually thinking, wow, I'm really, well, okay, so I'm not going to be a hand model. Yeah. Check off the list. Yeah. Um, but you weren't, you, you didn't find it like, oh, I'm covered in grease and I smell and my hands are bleeding. This no. is amazing. No, no, no. You weren't attracted to the weird, frenetic immediacy. I like the energy. I like the vibrancy. I liked the... I like this like hurling towards Earth kind of asteroid quality that dinner service yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. I did not. Uh, no, I don't need to smell like fish and have bloody hands to think I'm cool. No, that is def desperately on chic. And plus, none of my friends were chefs. Yeah. So they they just thought I was you know nuts. I mean, yeah. literally, they would just say to me, "Are you out of your mind? Like, I don't. I can't hang out with you if you're going to be a chef. This is silly." Really? Yeah. What did they do? A lot of lawyers, a lot yes. of gynecologists, you know, yes. plumbing of a different nature. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if I need to have a need a lawyer or a gynecologist, I am good. Right. I'm good to go. Yeah. But yeah, it was just odd. I mean- But they, you, that, those aren't creative fields. I think that any field requires imagination to be good at it. Think, will you, will I, you give me that? I think I think lawyers in general, you know, may have applied their creativity to something if they weren't, uh, if they didn't run from it. That's what I feel enough. about lawyers and doctors. Well, doctor, that's a calling. That's different. It's a calling. Mm. I, I think a, there's a, I don't know if there's a creativity to it, but it's certainly um, needed and uh, you know requires a certain disposition. I mean, one that I don't have. I don't know about you. I mean, I can hack up, you know, 80 pounds of beef, but... You know, yeah, you hack know. up a human. I don't. No, I, no, I don't know how that happens. I, it's yeah. just a no. The beef me. is not crying. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> know, I don't know. It's just the cutting and. The... Oh no, no, no! It's different. You know, my father was a doctor. It's a different to cross to be able to cross that boundary of like you know I'm gonna fix this and you know tell you that this is bad and yeah no no it's no a so no. it's a lot nicer to make people laugh or go here's some nice food here's a steak yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know about your health. Just eat the steak yeah, yeah. and shut up, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure it's helping your health, but you're going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's fine. Mm -hmm. All right. So, okay. So, they're doing that and you're doing this. So, you work at this place for how long before you're like, all right, I'm good. I'm, I can live with my hands. You know, I almost stayed there forever, honestly. I mean, I really don't mean that in any minor way because I really fell in love with cooking and I... I got to do a lot of different things. Um, yeah. But Larry Forgione said to me, you know, you need to go to France. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I made the choice, really. He said, you need to go to France. And he seemed like a sharp type, you know? And I just thought, okay. So then I thought, well, I don't want to pay to go, go to culinary school, but how am I going to do that? So I bought this book. And again, we go back to this idea. Why do we go buy a book? Why yeah. do we go to the museum? Right. Why, why is that the path? Yeah. Um, so I bought the Shaw Guide to World Culinary Schools. I think yeah. it was like 12 bucks, right. I remember. And I thought, in this book, I will find a work-study program where I can do dishes and get an education and not pay. And right. sure enough, I found a culinary program at La Varenne in Burgundy run by a woman named Anne Willen. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, she recently retired, actually, I think. And you, So I, I applied for a work-study position. I got the gig, and I went, and I just did dishes, and I cooked French food and did more dishes and 
more dishes and I ate a lot of cheese and wine. One of my favorite rituals was to get a bottle of Pinot Noir. I mean, in Burgundy, you have two choices, Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. Right. Not bad. Yeah, it's good. I would get a big bottle of Pinot Noir and I would run the hot water really hot and the steam off the dishes and the dishwashing soap yeah. and the wine and yeah. the washing. Oh yeah. my, forget it. See, so you work, that's, that, that's a ritual, that's sweet. Totally, sedated, yeah. sedated. Yeah. I was and you're sedated. in France. Yeah, and I was in France, and you know, I was there was a garden, and I yeah. made wreaths, and yeah. I acted weird, and I made you know souffles and madeleines, and I learned. You know, I, I I took French all through school, but I really didn't know how to speak it, so I was really learning how to speak French. I mean, did you, actually, did you get a handle on it? Totally. I really? lived in France for almost about six plus years. And you stayed at that place for six years? No, I did that for about nine months, and then I went. Um, what did you learn the basics there, or what were you enabled? What what could you do there when you were washing dishes? Were you treated differently than the people that were enrolled? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, of course, they were like, "Go get, go get the leaks." Yeah, and yeah. by the way, mop the floor on your way back. Right. Um, but I worked with a lot of French chefs, and I met a chef, and I went and worked in his restaurant after I got my degree, my work study degree from Lavarin, in uh, in the Alps. I mean, in the French Alps. So I was um, in Chambéry in the Savoie, and I worked down there for about I don't know four or five months. Is that is there a consistency to the cuisine or uh, French basic? I mean, is oh, yeah. it all the same no matter where you go in France? Or the- That's a really good question. I would say the the. The techniques, the blueprint for French cooking remains unabashedly and devotedly the same. I mean, this is how we did it since the 14th century, and on we go. But the ingredients change, and the local pride in certain ingredients, cheese, for example. Do you think that's the only way to learn? I mean, for real. I mean, like, you know, you get you watch Chop, I see what's going on. There, There are people that can obviously get a handle on Asian. There are people that can obviously get a handle on other things. But do you think that the basics have to be drilled into you with that that has been there since the 1400s? I mean, do you find that there's a difference in the chefs? Yeah, I think so. I think for me, I'll say my opinion is that for me, that was the only way. I mean, we go back now. My father took me to the museum to look at the paintings. My mom cooked the entire manuscript before it got published. Of the joy of cooking. You had to go through it. Yeah. You had to go th- you have to go through it to get at it. You got to go into the river if you yeah. want to cross it. And you go through that river. Now and I all think you, Yeah. I think that, that's what I did. So you're in the Alps and you do that. So you you're there for almost 9 years and then you come back. I came back. Yeah, I worked at uh, so I, and I got a job. Um I sort of you know, I worked in a restaurant in Paris for a guy named Guy Savoie, who... Is he a big guy? Is he the guy you sent the wreath to? No, a different chef, but same same caliber and an amazing Hi. man. Oh, yeah. Three-star Michelin, amazing human being. Yeah. And he was so good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went back to New York, he just said, you need to work for Daniel Boulou. I mean, he sort of said, you know, and again, Larry Forgione said, go to France. Guy Savoie said, go to Daniel Boulou. He really take, he makes classical French food with American ingredients. And that, you know, sort of like makes sense. I mean, if you take Larry Forgione and you take Guy Savoie and you mix them together, you get Daniel. So for me, he really made sense. What did you learn there? I learned that I didn't know shit about anything, basically. I had maybe seven or eight years of experience cooking when I started working at Danielle, and I thought, well, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I learned there? I really learned how to make a soup. I really learned how to cook meat and fish. I mean, like, really, really, I, you know, unmistakably for the rest of my life, if you hand me a hunk of fish or a hunk of meat, there's not going to be a problem. Well, okay, so just as, as somebody who, who actually doesn't know, like when you say I learned how to cook a soup, what are the points? I mean, like what? 
you know, in your mind, what was what what, what made what, what was the difference between what you were doing and what you learned? Well, I think, um, and keep in mind when I say I learned how to make a soup, I mo- I I mean two things. I mean, number one, I learned how to make a soup the way he makes it to develop flavor, but also how n- to cook in a way that isn't like how he cooks right. and get something else. Developing flavor. Yeah, well, a, a, so one is a reaction to, um, you know, re- out of respect for what he was doing, and then another is sort of what I, th- other things I like that don't have to do with what he was doing. So y- you'd start pretty much any soup base with a hunk of prosciutto and a couple pounds of butter. Yeah. And I just thought, this is evil, yeah. and this is dirty and wrong, and yeah. isn't this fantastic? Yeah. <laughs> and you could just make the most incredible stuff. I mean, really, you know how everybody says, fat is flavor, yeah. and let's get some bacon. Yeah. But I mean, really, I really learned the value of that by watching something take shape slowly, layers of flavor from fat that I always consider sort of neutral. I mean, heavy cream, does it really have a taste? No, but I mean, what happens when heavy cream coats your tongue? Yeah. I mean, you just want to you yeah. know, go hit the roof. So there's those different experiences. Right. And with meat, a hunk of meat. Yeah, I mean, he really like, uh, one thing I love about him is he likes poultry a lot. I'm sort of obsessed with poultry. I like chicken. I like squabs. I like ducks. I really love poultry. But when you get a chicken, though, it's hard to get good chicken, isn't it? Seriously. I mean, a lot of chicken's flavorless. I think you got to drop the cash on the chicken. Yeah. yeah, You know, I think it's one of those things you got to drop that cash if you want to get that taste. Right. We have a couple of really good places in New York now where you can get really delicious chicken. Yeah. Both cooked and non-cooked, by the way. I mean, is there anything, to me, a rotisserie chicken? It's best. Yeah. I mean, I need to like lock the door and pull down the blinds and just eat the chicken like like a savage animal and then just wipe up and go about my day. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll do that with shitty chicken too. I'll go to Vaughn's right now and get a, a rotisserie chicken yeah. as long as it's really burnt or yeah, yeah. brown on the be- yeah. oh yeah the best it's like gluey almost yeah 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 yeah. you need that yeah it's the best you and won't s- lick the string you yeah, know yeah. you're like pulling the string out of your mouth <laughs> yeah. that was wrapped around the leg yeah. oh yeah no so, shame and, and that was at the angle and with meat too you put butter on meat there wasn't that much of that. I'll tell you this. He's very honest about keeping ingredients the way they are. Yeah. You know, so yeah. no. In some cases, yes, but just a stock yeah. and a sauce made with just, it tastes like lamb. Yeah. Look yeah. at your mouth's watering. I know, yeah. Lamb. Yeah. I, I mean, it. it's like, yeah. which is the lamb and which is the beef sauce? You would never, you would never mix them up. Yeah. And in other kitchens I worked in, you sometimes couldn't tell. Yeah. And so I took it for granted at Danielle that everything tasted the way it was supposed to be and then in other kitchens you know i wasn't always sure is this chicken or beef sauce and then i thought really you know do i can i not tell you got to be able to tell right i think so it's a mistake I on the chef if they can't tell it's someone screwed up yeah, yeah. by the way uh, you know sometimes it was me so yeah yeah oh you live and learn right <laughs> yes and continue to do so cooking is cruel it's a cruel mistress yeah you know when you started so how old were you when you first started after danielle were you ready to go then did you executive chef places or what after i went that? i worked at patina in los angeles for a couple of years on so Melrose avenue yeah right. i lived out here for a couple of years when you come out here, do you call chefs? Do you have chef friends or regular? I friends? I do. I have. I have some of both. But there's also like you know the Italian chefs, the French chefs. I mean, there's a little bit of that. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. people say to me, "Oh, do you know Mario Batali?" And I say, "You know, like this, like that, but not really." I yeah. mean, I worked at Danielle, so I'm like Team France. Uh, you know. <laughs> Wait, how do you feel about Italian? 
I love Italian food, but people say it's really embarrassing to us that your name is Alexandra Maria Guarnaschelli. You speak fluent French, you lived in France for years, and you don't make Italian food. It's just you've forsaken us. Do they really say that? Yeah, people say that to me, and I say, you know, I almost think that the food of my culture yeah. and my roots is yeah. too private for me to use. Oh, really? Is that? You, I think that there's a little bit of that. Is that okay? Like, I know that that you, sounds a little... Like a rationalization? I don't know. I just never went that. It never occurred to me to make Italian food. But you know, but but it seems to me that coming from French, that you you know the, and I'm, I don't want to. I don't. I don't know enough to be condescending. But it seems like there's a. a it's it's actually less complicated, Italian. I think we get into the zone where if we call Italian simpler, we're going to call it rustic. And if we're going to call it rustic, we're going to call it sloppy. And we're going to call it crappy. And I think that that's so unfair. I think good good Italian food is almost more complex than French food because there can be so little to it ingredient wise yeah. it's just a few things in a lot of cases that you've really got to hunker down and get it right every time and that's almost harder I think a good pasta dough for example uh, is a tough thing one that's not too chewy not too tough just right that right balance of yeah. egg the right flour yeah. Yeah. so many minute complex choices I, I don't consider Italian any simpler than French although I imagine it's perceived as such uh-huh well, I, that's good to know. No, I mean, yeah. like I cooked spaghetti with Scott, and he showed me how to do that spaghetti of his. Did he really show you? I'm impressed. No, no, we cooked it. He showed me, and I've done it at home. Oh, that butter! Yeah, that's it's it. It's all about butter. It is. Well, Scott has some French in him. Yeah, he has those sort of German roots. Yeah, in his, and you can see it in his cooking. It's not like he hides it. Yeah, I think they, but people perceive him to be 100 percent Italian. But I see a lot of, a lot of little team Frenchy techniques yeah. in there. I'm like, yeah. really, buddy? How's that? How's that going there? You know, what did Marie Antoinette do a drive-by yeah. on Catherine de Medici here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so butter. What was So what was the, the – that was your restaurant? Yeah, I've worked there for a decade. And it's you yours? It. No, I don't own it. No? I don't own it. You, you created the menu? I do, and I've cooked there and for a long time, and I buy the food, which is my favorite thing to do. do you, don't, favorite. So you don't own a restaurant? I do not own a restaurant. Do you want to? No. Yeah. No, it's not high on my list, I got to tell you. Yeah. No, I have a I have an aversion to the idea of paying rent. Yeah. Uh to someone and yeah. I have the uh, an aversion to having to stay somewhere 24/7 being part of the other stuff. Absolutely. I mean, again we get just, back to am I making cooking. my own right. movie right. or am I just being right. in one? I'd rather so, just be in one. So the so when you create a menu then what 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 do you do? I mean, what Oh, I like to go to the supermarket and I walk around and look at what people are buying. Yeah. I remind myself of things. Yeah. Like, you know, hey, buddy, you, you forgot artichokes this yeah. year. Yeah. I'll forget about yeah. vegetables. Right. From year to year. Then I go to the green market and I see what's good. And I, But that's shopping. And as w someone once pointed out to me, I said, they said, what's your cooking philosophy? And I said, well, I go to the green market and I let uh -huh. things speak to me. Uh -huh. And he said, that's not a cooking philosophy. That's a shopping philosophy. Uh -huh. Wow. And I thought, uh -huh. all right, way yeah. to work it out. Uh-huh. So, um, that must have been a good moment. Yeah, really. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, you're not shit. You know, like you look in the mirror and you just say, wow, good Learn chat. how to talk. You're going to yeah. be talking to people. That's right. <laughs> um, you know what? I show up with a hat full of ramps, like, yeah. hi, yeah, here yeah, I am. Yeah. Local. We're going to make crostini. <laughs> um, so um, 
The problem is that I, I like when things taste truly like they are. And I think that's a lot of what French cooking right. tries to get at right. via a million different techniques. If you're going to make an artichoke, you're going to boil that artichoke down, make a puree, reconstitute it in the form of an artichoke, serve it with an artichoke sauce, fried artichoke leaf. You know, you're just going to artichoke someone to death. Yeah. Um, and I think you just can get, when you do it right, I mean, it's just like, oh my God, this is so good. Yeah. So I guess... I do like to, to, I'm a little bit much ado about nothing in that I like to kind of come full circle with an ingredient so that it tastes so much like itself. Uh-huh. I, I really dig on that. Yeah, and, it's great. Um, so I would say my cooking's French mm-hmm. and it really is. And it gets simpler and maybe more classical uh, the longer I cook. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think we have to, my mom said, pick something and be it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really like that. Pick something and be it. Yeah. It's a sim- you know, those those little Dalai Lama moments you yeah. know, where you just say, oh, it is this simple. Right. And sometimes you don't know what it is until you're it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm waiting. Yeah. Yeah. You are what you are. Yeah, I guess. You are it. Yeah. It just happened a few years ago. I, I know when it happened. I know when it happened. Where were you? Sitting here. And it, you, did you just say, oh, my God, I am? Well, well what it is is that you kind of feel... You know, there's a a discomfort that we have as creative people, no matter what it is, throughout your entire life. Whether you feel like you're a fraud, you're not being good enough, or whatever. I agree. And and usually, there's part of you that all you want is to find your point of view, your voice, you know, your mode. And you you can feel that you may be close to it, and you may see glimpses of it. But one day, all of a sudden, you know, it just sinks up, and you fill your body up. Uh, You know, you just feel that whatever this journey has been, you've arrived in yourself. And then you are it. You may not be able to say, like, you know, look at it, but you know just by the connection to your heart that you're there. I also think, do you think you kind of make peace with something? (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, as you get older, shit gets less important. Well, I mean, all of a sudden you just say, wow, I'm I'm just not going to take time to do that. Or you can just trust yourself. Only. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, it's like after a certain point, you got to realize, like you said before, you know, however many thousands of chickens that you've made, or how many jokes I've told, or whatever the hell it is, that uh, you, you know, you don't, you don't have to ask that question anymore. Like, do I know how to do this? You don't. You just feel nervous. Like, okay, right. now that I know how to do this, can I just do this? Yeah, and take it to the next level. Maybe. Oh, maybe I think that's so. that luck thing. I mean, when you're talking about luck, I mean, if you've if you've done luck is huge. But but what does that mean for you? I mean, like I, I mean, like you have to be consistent as a chef, you know, or else people aren't going to come to your restaurant to some degree. So when you say luck, does that mean just sort of like I had no idea that by leaving that on the stove or by you know not paying attention to that or, or happy accidents that I've learned a new technique? Or what, what does luck mean to you? No, I think it means it's a magical moment in cooking for me. And by the way, I'm I'm defining luck for myself. Yeah, no one needs to agree with me. Yeah. Um, it's a moment where you just turn around and you're trying to brown something on all sides and the edge, that, that edge you can't get on a pork chop is browned and the two sides are browned and it's cooked evenly (laughs) and it's juicy and it looks up at you like, fuck yeah, Yeah, yeah. let's do this baby. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, um, it's like all those teenage angst movies where they're, you know, in like Teen Wolf when they're bouncing the basketball in the gym and it's 
thud, thud. You know, it's that leading up, and you can just feel it with cooking. I mean, the yeah. take the pork chop out, and it says, "Come on," you know. Yeah, yeah. The plate is just the right temperature, and the sauce, and right. the, you just put it all together, and you just know, you know. And then you give it away. This is the thing about cooking. I remember the first time I made my own plate of food, like four years in at Guisavoie, and I just thought I didn't want to give it away. Yeah. I thought, well, I can't believe I made this. I'm so excited. And the chef was like, "Great, give me the plate." And I was like, "No." He had to wrestle it from me, and he said, "You know, you got to let go of this." Yeah. And then I traced the plate, you know, yeah. to the end. Like the, I said to the bus, "Well, where's the plate? Table twenty-two, position two. Where's the fucking plate?" Yeah. And he brought it in. It was it was swiped with bread, yeah. so it was empty. And yeah. then I could see the swipe of the bread, and yeah. I thought, "Oh yeah, he yeah, did it. That's right." Uh-huh. Nailed it, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you, know, you go home and listen to, you know, B.I.G. Yeah. for three hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like a, it's like a moment that you're never going to have back. Like, that, that doesn't take away from the consistency of your cooking, but sometimes you just, something happens, and you know that what's going out, that, that one, that was a perfect one. It doesn't mean the one after that was worse. Oh, my God. The next one might have been crap. Yeah. But you're addicted to that. You're addicted to that plate. You're addicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hooked, and it's over. And it is over, my friend. And you chase that through so many bad moments to get that that plate again. And you get it again. And you just keep plotting. pounding. Did you ever go to a table knowing that that plate went there and go, "How how was that? Never. No. No, I almost don't want to look at the person who ate it. How dare they? Who the hell do they? Are they? Who are you? You better be good. If you're not the Queen of England, I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah. You just no, go, oh. I don't want to know. They took it from me. Oh. They took my my proof. What do I have? An empty plate? What do I do? Frame an empty plate and right. light it? You know in your heart. Remember though. the bread? Yeah. Come on. You know in your heart though. Yes. I I only have one experience to share that's similar to that. This is a stupid experience, but did I remember. Did you cook? That you cooked was, something yeah, or that you ate? That I cooked something. What did you make? I was. Uh, Were you here? Mm-mm. I've made a couple of good things here, but there was this one moment. It was very simple, where you know I was working at a Jewish deli in Boston called Gordon's Deli, and it was just a messy deli. And Boston's weird, because they actually have four kinds of rye bread, and they, you know, it's, it's a weird place. There's sisal, there's light, there's dark, there's pumpernickel. You serve the heel of the bread, which is, it's a different deli mentality there, but it's it's genuine. So I was like a grill cook sandwich guy, and we used to saute a big thing of onions, you know, mm. early, you know, early in, 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 a, in its own pan. It was only used for these onions every day, these, these browned onions. And some guy ordered a, a Leo, you know, uh, lox eggs and onions, and I'm going to make it. And there was just enough, there was just a few onions left in that pan, in the onion pan. So I made the lox eggs and onions in the onion pan. So I had all those juices from all day long and these perfect onions that were there. It was just, you know, perfect. And I made this thing and it was, and I knew it was great. And I like Leos and they're, it's important that the onions are done, you know, really well. Or else they're just shitty if you can't taste it. If they're mushy or yeah. they're not cooked enough right. or if they're... An right. onion is a complex beast. Right. So this was perfect and I knew it and I served it to the guy and, you know, the plate went out and then, like, he came back and said, it's too, it's too many onions in this. And oh, like, my God. Right. And I was like, I knew it was perfect and, and I was like, really? You know, and it was like, it hurt me and I made him another one but then the old guy, the old cook in the back who who made the hash and everything else, the the guy, Sonny. The one the, that mattered. Right, in the back. You know, I said, this guy <clears throat> sent this back and, and he tasted it and it's like, oh my, that was perfect. And I'm mm-hmm. like, see, see. There's All a right. lot of that. Right? This was medium rare. Yeah. But you just say, here's another one, have yeah. a nice day. Yeah. It's, it's hard. hard. <laughs> it's painful. Yeah. It is. I don't take that stuff personally anymore, though. Well, you can't. I wouldn't no, think No, you gotta... You know what? 
I got to be humble about that kind of stuff and just do it again. Who yeah. cares? It's They're paying for it, not you. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Just the right amount of onions in yeah. the pan. Yeah. You know where you think, oh, I need three orders, and you look over and there's just that much. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm really no, thank sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Was that like 10, yeah. 20 years ago? Oh, more than that, I think. Yeah, you thought about it in the shower this morning. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Could he, that Why, bastard? Uh, the, only, the only thing I was thinking about is you were coming over and I thought like, well, do, should I have cookies or something? Should we go get some cookies? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> I was thinking, should I bring you etched onto a piece of felt soap? So I guess we all have our... So, okay. So let's let's just, let's talk about the book. So you chose comfort food. That makes sense. Yeah. I chose old school comfort food for the title so that um, one, I wanted there to be... Um, an emotional response in yeah. the title, but also old school means I can be as retro or as unoriginal or as tipping my hat to something in the past as I want, and I've got it covered. So when you talk, when you take on versions of these things that are classics, I mean, do you hot rod them? Do you do? Would hot you, rod. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, I realize. Um, I guess I put my interpretation of comfort food. So everybody, a lot of people have gotten the book and said, oh, I can't wait to make the macaroni and cheese. There's no macaroni and cheese recipe in the book because I just, that's not, I don't file that under comfort food for myself. You can't beat the one enjoy cooking. Yeah, really, no, I with agree. With the onions and the... And agree, the, just the right amount. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm never going to forget that, by the way, that pan of onions. Yeah. I collected a lot of the recipes that really meant a lot to me, a lot of things that I made with my mom, a lot of things she made growing up where I did have those hints of moments or those inklings or those right. moments where you can feel your synapses firing a yeah. little extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what the book really is. It's just yeah. a collection of those things with some a lot of stories and a lot, you know, some moments that weren't so pretty. Right. You know, I I um Danielle got a huge crab one day when I worked there and he wheeled it in and it was like still moving and yeah. it looked at me. It was so crazy that I almost think I imagined it. So he said, cook this crab. You know, the president of the French Republic is coming in at one o'clock for lunch. Yeah. So I cooked a crab and then I took a claw, a whole leg down into the employee bathroom and ate it like an animal <laughs> in the, you know, in the toilet. You know, I'm standing in the toilet eating this crab, you know, just so hungry. You know, I, it was 14, 15 years ago, yeah. and it was still the best thing I can remember. You know, I was so hungry. I'm, I'm standing, staring at a dirty toilet, eating this crab, yeah. and it just didn't matter. I think that's a, that, that's a beautiful thing about you. <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet. I like that. So are you saying my selective way of moving through the universe is somehow poetic to you and charming? Yeah, and hot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is you ravaging a crab in a it bathroom? Was, it was great. savage. It was so dirty. I came out, you know, with like a little strand of crab in my teeth, and <laughs> did, I just thought, yeah. Did you get busted or you didn't? I did not. Uh -huh. I did not. That's a good moment. I didn't care. Yeah. I mean, in a really deep way, I got to tell you. Yeah. What, you know. Do you love to eat? I do. I do love to eat. I get really upset when food's not good. Uh-huh. Um, oh, me too. I can't fucking stand it. And it's hard for me to walk away from something when it isn't good. You know, I'm in it. I'm already in it. But it's I get like, so disappointed at restaurants. I mean, I get like, yeah. I'm not that great a cook, but if I'm going to eat something, if I'm going to go out to eat it, it better be something I can't even fucking wrap my brain around making. Uh -oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. And that can be pretty simple because, again, I'm not a great cook, but I can cook okay and I know what I'm getting into. But if I go somewhere and it's just okay, I'm, I'm almost furious. I think that you're not alone. Because I work in restaurants and have for so many years and I know how many things can happen that lead to that kind of unfortunate experience. Yeah. 
I don't look at it the way you look at it as a purely as a consumer, which right. is how you have the right to look at it that way. Right. For me, I just think, oh God. You like being a TV star? I do. I like being on TV. I think it's a privilege. Yeah. I really like it. And I do. Like, do people come up to you and go, that thing you made, I made it at home and I loved it and it and worked. And I love and, that. Yeah, that's great. But I'll tell you what I really love is to write books and I would like to write a lot of books. And if TV is the platform that you need in order to be able to do that. Yeah then I like TV a lot for that reason. I really, I'm a writer and would like to write a lot more. Well, do it. I am. I've, I'm already writing a lot of other things. And even just writing them, I don't care what happens. I mean, people say to me, I'm, I'm on my eighth book and whatever else. I may just publish two or three books, but I love to read and I love to write. And I do a lot of it. All right, one last question. Yes. Who's that, who's that dude? Who's that food critic, That the Iron Chef guy, the bald guy? Simon Majumdar. Majumdar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what's up with that? You he's, like that guy? I really do. And he said some stuff to me during Next Iron Chef that was really hard to swallow. He said one of my dishes looked like I put Kermit the Frog in the blender. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff when you're competing and you know you want to fall over as it mm-hmm. is, is hard to take. Um, he's, he's a food historian. Um, but he winds up being so much more than that because yeah. he really loves to eat and he loves good food. Yeah. And he likes to cook. Yeah. So he's sort of the whole real deal. Whereas he might be just come off as somebody sort of stuffing, stuffy and curmudgeonly yeah. and playing by the rules. He winds up being really passionate about food and culture. Yeah, I, feel I think that. he I think he thinks you can totally understand a culture through its food. Right. Um, and he's very, you know, open with what food did to him or mm-hmm. did for him as a child. Um, so there are food critics you trust and respect and oh, will listen him I to. Would, yeah. Him I would really follow pretty much anywhere. Yeah. I, I drink his Kool-Aid. He yeah. really does his homework. Okay. Which is, you know, all you need in my book. All right. Well, this has been uh, a real honor for me. For me too. But really I, I feel like I know you. It's the weirdest thing. Do you, now that we've talked, do you feel like the TV represented the person that... Yes. It, well, except you're you're deeper and you're smarter and you have a a, a bigger understanding. You know, you've it, it, on that show, and I, and I think that you're. Yeah. You know, at first, I I was like, you know, what's what's her fucking problem? Like, I used to get yeah, mad. I when, agree. When you were on, I'd be like, Ugh, oh, here's that bitch, and she's just gonna do that weird look where you don't know if she likes it or not, and she. <laughs> I know. God, I got to get it together. No, I got to get some Mickey Mouse smile going. You've gotten Hi. no. You've gotten better. You know, I I think you let yourself enjoy things. You've you've you've, you've loosened up. Am I wrong? Over oh, the I years at so. shop. Oh, I think so. You, you get more out of people when you relax. And you're. I think you're a little more compassionate. To oh, the, massively. Why I'm you, the sucker. Yeah, but the, you weren't at the beginning. I've always been the sucker. I just hit it. I've been Were the you sucker t- are you since guys day told one. that though? Are you no, told- we're not instructed on how to act, and I think that's why the show's so good, because the creator Linda Lee and the producers, particularly Vivian Sorensen, the two of them just. She's, I grew up with her. She produced that fucking show. Uh-huh. Vivian Sorensen from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Absolutely. What are you kidding me? We call her the great tormentor on the set because she just, she will pursue and pursue and pursue until she gets what she wants. You from know I us. went to elementary school with her? I did not know that. Did you know she was from Albuquerque? I did. I do. Her brother's Eugene. Yes. She's awesome. She produces that show. I went on the, the bus to school with her. I can't believe you didn't know that. Does this cha- is this a watershed moment for you? Well, no, I knew I, like at some point years ago, I think I knew she was producing television, but I don't think that I, I knew that this was at a media co- connection. Fifth, she is. Fifth and sixth grade, we went to Manzano Day School, and I, I might have went to junior high with her. She is, really. She and Linda Lee, the two of them. Fantastic. Uh-huh. They just uh-huh. hold it down. They won't let go. How do you- and they, but they don't tell us how to act. 
they wanted me to do it. They wanted me to, they asked me to like, you know, when they're, I think Judy Gold did it, uh, but like they were going to do like a celebrity thing. And, you know, I, I like the show and I, and I know I can kind of cook and I know I've learned a lot from the show, but I don't actively cook enough for me to take the hit. And I knew I would take the hit and I just didn't know how graceful I could be at taking the hit. So I turned it down. I think everybody does, goes through the, what you, everything you just said. Everybody says that to themselves. Yeah. And then you have some people that say, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. And people, some people just say, I'm not, are you crazy? Yeah. Like I know that, you know, like I know now from watching that show where I'm like, oh, he's going to make a syrup and he's going to, you, you know, like there's no, you know, I know what he's going to break that down like that. But I don't know if I would actually in the moment. It's so nerve wracking. But I don't, I don't have the, the skills, I, you know, I can follow a recipe, but I can't riff. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, well, tell me about it. <laughs> what? T- I mean, it's tough. It's got, so hard. You have to be able to riff a bit or else you're oh, just going to so. make a miss, a mess. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe even you're going to riff and really riff well and still make a mess. Right. Right. But if you don't have like the confidence to riff, like, you know, even to say like, I'm going to make a sauce. I don't know the basics of a sauce. You know, I don't eat sauces, mm-hmm. but I can, I can call it when I see it's about to happen. But well, I don't you know. could put a little vinegar and oil in a blender and say, voila, breakfast is ready. Sure. The, the, uh, those, uh, I have one of those blenders. Maybe down the, the line uh, you'll change your mind. The veggie. Veg- oh, yeah, yeah. The Vitamix. Vitamix. You can do anything with them. You can puree a carburetor sure. in there sure. if you want. You can, do, oh, you yeah. can puree your car. Okay. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, well, in a pinch, if I need to do that. It's good to know. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's our show, folks. I love her. What a firecracker. Get her book you want to cook that stuff what am i saying now thank you for listening go to wtfpod.com for all your wtf pod needs again get the app go to wtf pod and get the app so uh you it's the easiest way to get the show and if you upgrade to premium it's very cheap you can listen to all 400 or so episodes it's fun it's good it's the way to listen and again i'm going to put a little more focus on premium content in the future i will be going to denver colorado heads up Denver, Colorado, uh, on the 23rd and 24th of this month of August. I will be in Salt Lake City, Utah, at the West Valley Comedy Club there at, uh, what is it, Wise Guys, West Valley, on the 17th, one night only, Saturday. Goddamn. 14 years sober. Between you and me, it is a fucking miracle. It's a fucking miracle. Oh, my God. Seriously, I'm not even supposed to say this, but you know, if you've got a fucking problem, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Get willing. Go to a meeting. Listen. Don't judge. Listen for what you relate to. I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not a spokesperson for that type of thing, but it fucking saved my brain, saved my life. End of story. Boomer lives.